Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles up to the red letters because that's what we're studying this year. We are focused on the words of Jesus because we want to know Him better and we want to love Him more and we want to learn to obey Him even more. And so we've been talking about the words of Jesus. And last week we started a lesson on uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, that's a big word that we, that we hear, but maybe we don't always understand what it means. But if you go to Matthew chapter 5, you read about Jesus say, Blessed are, and he gives some characteristics. And as we saw last week, the, 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 the meaning of that phrase there is the recognition of thankfulness that comes from being blessed by God. That's what blessed are it means. It's, it's thankful are, you might read it, or happy are, are those people who are appreciative of the blessings that come from God. But then he goes on to describe some traits that we might look at first and say, well, that doesn't sound very, that's not a source of hope or happiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, what would be something that we would want to rejoice over with being poor in spirit? But as we talked about last week, those characteristics are characteristics of a citizen of the kingdom that brings about great blessings from God. And we're going to continue that lesson today thinking about the, the last four blessed R's, the last four of the Beatitudes. And we're going to do that by looking at a, a real practical example of an Old Testament character. That's, that's what we want to kind of focus in on. So if you want to turn your bulletins over to the back, we're going to begin by thinking about the, the next traits of the citizens of the kingdom. As Will read for us today, Jesus says in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful. Verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. Bless nine, or verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers. Now I want you to stop and think about each one of those. Blessed are the merciful. What does it mean to be merciful? And so you think about what mercy is, and, and we often want to kind of compare it with compassion. And I like that idea. I like the idea of being, of having, you know why I like that? Because I like people being compassionate towards me, right? You get to feeling kind of sickly, right? You want, you want your wife to, to be compassionate towards you when you're sick. Or you've got things going on at work and you want people to be compassionate towards you. But, and that's what mercy uh, oftentimes entails. But it also carries with it some, uh, somewhat of a, a legal aspect to it. You go to court and you know you've done what the judge is going to find in his, in his court case, when well, you know the, the lawyers are going to bring, and you know you've done it. But what do, you, what do you want? You want mercy, right? And that's really what we see in, this, in the context of mercy here is, mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so from a, from, a, from a legal standpoint, or from the standpoint of God's view, uh, mercy and grace really form two sides of the same coin. You think about this, grace. What do you often think, say, say a definition of grace is? Well, unmerited favor, right? Getting what you don't deserve. Well, mercy is not getting what you do deserve, right? And so as we think about being merciful towards other people, Mercy means that whenever you mess up, I don't beat you about the head and neck with it, right? 
Mercy is burying the hatchet and not leaving the handle sticking out. Mercy is being being truly compassionate towards people because you understand where they are coming from. Because from, from our standpoint, from mankind's standpoint, we've been there before. God the Father, from a very, very holist, holy point of view, has never been where we are. I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. But that's why Jesus came to the earth. To walk in our shoes. And so God understands mercy because Jesus has been down here and He's been through. He's been tempted in all ways such as we are. So merciful are those people who are or that trait of compassion and of, of willingness to give people um, to, to withhold from them the things they deserve. What about pure in heart? When you think about pure in heart, what pops into your brain? And I often think about these little children sitting back here, right? Little children who have no understanding of wickedness, of guile, of malice, of meanness in them. They just want to be little children. And that's what we really see pictured in the, the, the idea of being pure in heart. You know, we can be pure in heart today. Adults can because of the way we think and the way we, the way, the way we train our minds and discipline our minds to be focused on those things that are clean and pure and lovely. I'm reminded of the passage in Philippians chapter 4. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are just, whatever things are noble, think on these things. The way you think oftentimes has a lot to do with the way you act, right? And, and the, the way your heart is. And so we see here a characteristic of, of a citizen of the kingdom is that they are going to be pure in heart. And they're also going to be peacemakers. Now, I've known of people in my life who, from their actions, don't love peace. You ever been around somebody that just wants to keep it stirred up all the time? Right? Because there, there are some people who don't I, don't, I don't know how to describe this except to say there, I've been around people who don't, I don't think they feel comfortable unless they've got turmoil going on around them. But when you think about the, the idea of peace here and that, that tranquility that comes with peace, first of all, peace with God, second of all, peace with our fellow man, that's something that I think most people cherish. They want the tranquility of peace. But you notice the phrase here. The, the, phrase, is, blessed, the phrase is not, blessed are the peace enjoyers. Because we could all easily fall into that category, right? Blessed are the peace makers. Now you think about what that means. I've got to be actively, intentionally striving for peace with other people. Now, chew on that for a little bit. Are we peacemakers? Are we bridge builders? And I'll tell you the person I think of when I think about peacemakers, I think about a man named Barnabas. You remember how Barnabas was? He, he, that was not his name. His name was Joseph, but he was given the name Barnabas, because that meant son of encouragement. And, and in particular, I think about the time when Paul has now become a Christian. He's been converted. He's been brought to Jerusalem, and nobody wants to have anything to do with him. To do with him. Let me get my English here. And you remember, Barnabas goes, and the Bible says he takes Saul by the hand, and he brings him to the apostles. And he tells the apostles what Paul's been up to. He's still known as Saul at this point in time. And you think about what that did. The peace that that brought between Saul and the apostles. Barnabas had to make that happen. And so we think about being um, 
merciful, being pure in heart, being a peacemaker, if you could pick somebody to live next to you, would you pick somebody that had these characteristics? If you could pick your boss, would you pick somebody who had these characteristics? What about your spouse? What about your mom and dad? What about, what about people? In, it, and the point that we, we see here is when citizens of the kingdom, when we bear out these traits in our lives, you'll find no better friend, you'll find no better neighbor, you'll find no better co-worker, you'll find no better boss, you'll find no better spouse than people who live these characteristics in their lives. Can you think of any, anybody that you'd rather have than a Christian who acts this way in your life? And yet you look at the last trait that Jesus says. Notice what he says in verse uh, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In the same thought that we can say we'd never, we'd, we'd, we'd not rather have anybody but a Christian be our neighbor, think about how the world treats Christians. Think about how the world treats people who are merciful and people who are pure in heart, people who are peacemakers. And Jesus cuts to the core here because the world is going to persecute these people. May they, be, they may want them as taxpayers. They may want them as voters. They may want them as, as people who do their roles in society. But I don't want you telling me how to live my life. And so we see then that people are going to be persecuted for righteousness sake. They're going to be persecuted because of the things that Jesus says in verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says that when you practice these things, when you live this lifestyle, citizen of the kingdom, you need to understand you're going to be persecuted. That's tough to wrap our minds around. And it might be that we might be tempted to say, you know what, I don't want to live that lifestyle because I don't want to bear the persecution that comes with it. We're going to look at an example of a young man this morning in the time we've got left here, of a, an example of a young man who bore out these characteristics, how he was treated, how the Lord blessed him and how his family was blessed because of it because like I said you'll find no better brother than to have somebody who bears these traits out so turn your Bibles back to Genesis we're gonna go way back in the Bible the Old Testament to Genesis chapter 37 and we're gonna talk briefly we're gonna summarize through the story of Joseph what do you know about Joseph when we think about Joseph, what do we often think of? That coat of many colors, right? That bright, colorful coat, long sleeved coat that his dad made for him because he was his dad's favorite. He was the daughter of Rachel. Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife. And she had been barren for a long time. And he had all these other sons that he could have been showering his praise and honor and, and gifts upon. But he was waiting for Rachel to have a boy. And when Joseph came along, man, Joseph got it all. Joseph was the focus of his dad's attention. And you remember early in the story, Joseph, at, the, at about the age of 17, he begins to have these dreams. You remember there was one dream where they were, he and the brothers were out in the field and they were, they were um, harvesting crops and they were built, putting sheaves together. 
And you remember it says his sheave stood up and all the other boy's sheaves bowed down to him. You think about what, that, what kind of friction that causes in a family, right? You got this boy who's got the coat of many colors and the other guys are just wearing drab old camel hair coats. Or, you know, they're wearing different colored coats than what Joseph's got. And now he has this dream. That's in uh, chapter 37, if you look at verse uh, 7. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. Indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, shall, we, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Not only did they hate him for his coat, but they hated him because of his dreams. And then he had another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now you know what happens next. The boys are sent out to tend to the sheep. Joseph's kept at home. But Jacob says, hey, go check on your brothers. And so he goes out to, to check on them. And he, when he finally finds them, they see him coming. And you remember what they said? Let's kill this dreamer. We're going to take him out. Reuben, the oldest of them, who would be responsible for any of the boys, but he's responsible for Joseph, says, oh, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, boys. Let's, let's not be rash here. And so he throws him in, they throw him into a pit there, an empty pit there, to kind of hold him and, and to protect him, really, from the brothers until they, he talks them down they can figure out what they're going to do. Reuben gets distracted. The Bible doesn't say what he's doing, but he gets distracted. And some traitors come along. And they pull Joseph up out of the pit. And they sell him to these traitors. And Joseph's gone. Joseph goes to Egypt now. The brothers take the coat of many colors back to the father. They kill a goat and they put the blood on the coat and they take it back to the father and say, hey, look at what we found. Your son's dead. Joseph's now in Egypt. He's bought... You've got to jump down now to chapter 39. And it says, Joseph was taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So he's bought by Potiphar... And while he's in Potiphar's house, God is going to bless Joseph. He's going to bless everything that Joseph does. And Potiphar's going to recognize it. And he's going to, he's going to bless Joseph with authority. He's going to put him in charge to the point that, that Joseph has rule over all the house except just a few things here. And so God is blessing Joseph. He's blessing the work that he does. He's blessing his words. And he's also blessing his looks. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 7. Into verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she's going to begin to tempt Joseph. And this is where we're going to see the first trait that we're talking about here. Put yourself in a position where you are being tempted. Day after day after day. How do we respond to that? When you particularly talk about sins of a sexual nature, that temptation can become a, a, a thorn in your side and work on you. But I want you to notice here the trait that Joseph had that we all need to have. And first and foremost, he was pure in heart. 
He wasn't going to allow this temptress to draw him away from God and to lead him into a life of sin. And his purity of heart's going to be, a, going to be a, 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 what we might think is a detriment to him at first, but it's going to be rewarded. Notice what he says in verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. First of all, he's got a spirit of responsibility, right? He understands that he's been given a stewardship. My, my, my master has given it all to me. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even know what he has because I take care of him. Husbands, I'll ask you this question. Any of you guys have a wife that does that job for you? You don't even have to worry about where, where the food's coming from or where, if, if you've got toothpaste in the drawer, right? Because your wife just takes care of you. She makes sure it's all there. That's, what, that's the role that Joseph's taking on here for Potiphar. He's making sure that he has everything that he needs. He says, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. Joseph understood God's pattern of marriage, and he understood that Potiphar's wife was not Joseph's. And so notice what he says next. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? Now, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so we see here that, that Joseph has kept a, a heart of purity toward God and a reverence for God. Now, you remember back last week we talked about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. When you're in a situation like this, you better hunger and thirst after righteousness or you're going to be tempted to do wrong. But Joseph had a purity of heart that wouldn't allow him to even dabble in this area. He wasn't going to play around with this. Matter of fact, you remember that her temptations became so strong that one day she caught him in the house by himself and she got a hold of him and was going to basically force herself upon him. And somehow he slipped out of his cloak and he's gone, leaves his coat behind. And now we're going to see him begin to be persecuted for righteousness sake because whenever Potiphar comes home, Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar already has the story I'll put, put together, right? How can you bring this, this Israelite in amongst us? He came in here and he mocked me and he tried to force himself upon me and he left his coat here. And Potiphar's got evidence, right? It looks like it doesn't look good for Joseph. But Joseph's been faithful. You ever think it entered, should have entered Potiphar's mind to go sit down and talk to Joseph a little bit? Or maybe he just wanted to keep things the way they were in his house. Maybe he wasn't willing to rock the boat with his wife. But regardless, Joseph gets sent to prison. And so you think about being persecuted for righteousness sake. He was the righteous one in this matter, and he's the one that went to prison. The wife didn't get the boot. He did. And now he's in prison. And so he goes through this time in prison. You remember the baker and the butler come, and they have their dreams, and he interprets the dreams, and one of them gets restored to his position. The other one loses his head. And it takes a little while, but then Pharaoh has a dream. And this this man who was restored, he remembers Joseph and the interpretation that Joseph had given of their dreams, and he calls for, for Joseph, and Joseph comes, and, and to, to cut to the chase here, Joseph interprets the, the Pharaoh's dream, and he gets put in charge of a recovery effort, right? They're going to they're gonna have seven years of feast and seven years of famine, and Joseph tells Pharaoh that in his dream that the seven years of famine are going to be so bad that they're going to eat up the excess of the seven years of feast. 
And so he says, if you had a wise man in the country who could manage this for you, they could gather up the excess of the feast years and they could keep enough so that you would be able to survive during the famine years. And Pharaoh was a pretty smart guy. And he says, hey, Joseph, sounds like you're the man for the job. And he puts Joseph in charge and he does it. He keeps back one-fifth of the produce from each year so they've got more than enough food to get through the famine years. The famine gets so bad that it stretches all the way up to the land where Jacob and his sons are living. And they hear there's bread in Egypt and they say, let's, let's go down to Egypt and get some bread. And you remember how they come down and they meet this man who looks like an Egyptian, but he's really their brother. He didn't reveal himself to them at first. He kind of has some fun with them, you might say. He, he, he knows a little bit of their background story. And so he asks them, he says, hey, don't you have a younger brother at home? Yeah, yeah, we do. Go back and get him and bring him down here. I want to see him. If you want food from me, you're going to have to bring all the boys down here. And you remember how they, they go up and they tell Jacob this story. And Jacob's like, oh, man, you've, I've lost Joseph. Now I'm going to lose Benjamin. But they end up coming down there. And I want to, I want to show you a couple of, of... I want to show you some interactions between Joseph and his brothers that's going to reveal his merciful spirit towards these young men and I want to challenge you to think about this you've got somebody that does wickedness to you that that persecutes you for righteousness sake it's not your fault but you get persecuted how do you respond how do you act in that situation do you carry that grudge do you let that bitterness eat at your heart and I'm not talking about days or weeks or months we're talking about years that this has been going on the next time you run into that person, how are you going to respond? Are you going to do like you might do in Walmart where you see them in the other aisle and you just turn and you kind of keep on going because so you, you don't want to have an interaction with them? That's probably, that's probably the nicest thing that some of us might do, right? Sometimes we see that person in Walmart and they kind of have a, have a there's clean up in aisle four, right? Because <laughs> it got ugly. I want you to notice how Joseph responds when he sees his brothers. And we're going to go down to we're, we're, we've moved all the way into uh, chapter 45. Chapter 45, beginning in verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me! So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud... And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you have sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. I don't know if that, if that didn't get the hair up on the back of your neck. I don't know what will. He's not, he's not telling there, I'm not mad at you. He's saying, don't be mad at yourselves. Don't be upset with yourselves over this. Because you sold me here. For, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Folks, I'll tell you what. When we truly live out the characteristics of the Beatitudes, our perspective on life is going to be different. Joseph's not bitter. Joseph's not resentful. He's not 
you know, you've heard the phrase, revenge is a dish best served cold. This is cold, right? This has been a long time. And he's not waiting to stab these boys in the back. He's trying to comfort them because he understands God sent me here for a reason. That's perspective. That's merciful because these boys could have been punished for what they did and they should have been punished from a very, very purely legalistic standpoint. But he says here, For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph's a very merciful person. Joseph has been persecuted for righteousness' sake, but it's turned out for good. One last passage I want us to see. Because Jacob's still alive, and these boys begin to think, well, maybe it's just because Jacob's alive that, he, that Joseph's doing this because he doesn't want to disappoint Dad. But when Dad dies, man, it could get ugly. So let's turn over to chapter 50 now. And let's... let's Let's make sure that, that everything that Joseph's doing is straight up here because these boys are afraid. Look at verse 15. Chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Well, perhaps Jacob will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which, he did, which we did to him. Who thinks that way? People that would do that, right? Because that's what they would have done if they were in Joseph's shoes. Joseph's a merciful person. Joseph truly has embodied mercy and purity of heart and the characteristics that we're talking about that Jesus says would be of the, of the citizens of the kingdom. He's got that in his heart. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, Before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil for me. Now notice he doesn't pull punches here. He lets them know, You guys meant this for bad. I understand that. But God meant it for good to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph's a man who, who's, he's the personification of what we're talking about here. He was a man who in his father's house was treated with great blessings, but he was also persecuted for righteousness sake. He was sent away and his purity of heart was tested and his mercifulness was tested as well. And he stood up under the tests. And just like him, we're going to be blessed by God when we do that. Notice what the, the passage says. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Obtain mercy. You want mercy from God? We've got to be merciful to our brothers and sisters. We've got to be merciful to those around us. We've got to be merciful to our enemies. Because that's what God does. 
while we were still without strength in due season, Christ died for the ungodly. We read in Romans. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that it is through God's mercy that we receive the blessings that come through Jesus Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that's one of the things I forgot to mention here, but Joseph, you think about the peacemaking that he, that, he, that he implemented here with his brothers, the peace that he brought to his brothers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall what? Be called sons of God. Behold, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? 1 John 3, 1. Christians, we are called the children of God. Therefore, we are peacemakers. That's what we're called to be. In verse, uh, um, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, he says there that uh, we don't know what we'll be like when Jesus comes. I want to read this to you because I want to mess it up. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been yet revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for what? They shall see God. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. God blesses us when we bear out these traits in our lives. And God will continue to bless those who bear out these traits in their lives. And what's interesting about this is, God doesn't wait until you do it to give you the blessings. God's merciful to you even when you don't show mercy. But you think about how much more thankful we are whenever we realize God's mercy and we show it to other people. What a blessing that is. Are you a citizen of the kingdom today? Do we recognize that God has a kingdom? Jesus came to establish a kingdom. And we can be citizens of it. Jesus has given us some traits here of a citizen of the kingdom. And He wants us to be that. But we become citizens of the kingdom by obeying His word. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verse 46, He says, Thus it is written, Thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. That's the good news of God's mercy and grace. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And that repentance and remission of sins be preached in His name. That repentance is that message of turning. Turning away from the world and turning to God. Turning away from sin and turning to righteousness. Are we doing that? And the message of repentance comes with a message of remission of sins. And so Jesus would tell His disciples to go and preach the gospel to all creatures. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. When Peter heard that message from Jesus, Jesus told him to preach it. He stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches the good news of the, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Acts chapter 2 tells us that. And whenever those, when those people, those honest hearts, heard that that day, you remember what they said, what shall we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. Jesus told him to preach that. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's what Jesus told him to preach. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you and to your children, to all who are far off, to as many as the Lord our God will call, even in 2020 in Bradleyville. Are you a citizen of the kingdom today? 
have been washed in the waters of baptism to arise a new creature, to be to be brought in to this to the kingdom of, of Jesus. You can do that today. We're going to encourage you to do that. If you haven't, we're going to sing an invitation song. And as a Christian, if you have but you've wandered into the world and you want to come back to Jesus, you can do that today as well. We're going to sing this song of encouragement. But if you don't feel comfortable making your needs known at this time, come see me after. Don't leave here today apart from the the, the kingdom of Christ. Um, we don't want anybody going home today. Not not a Christian. So if we can encourage you in that, let's do so. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.